What's up, sports fans? My name is Lucas Weiss, host of the Wee Sports Chronicles podcast. We've made it. It's episode 100 of the Wee Sports Chronicles podcast. And I just want to thank everyone, the listeners, the guests, who have made this historic landmark possible. It started out as a pandemic project, and now it's turned into a weekly episode, a staple of my content creation process in sports. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who has made this possible. For episode 100, we have Nick Alberga. Nick is a radio personality on Sportsnet 590, the fan, specializing in hockey and the Toronto Maple Leafs. In this episode, I chat with Nick about the upcoming NHL season, the All-Canadian Division, whether the Leafs can actually win this All-Canadian Division. And then we dive into Nick's sports media career and how he got the nickname, The Golden Muzzy. You do not want to miss it. As always, the Wii Sports Chronicles podcast is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So make sure to like, rate, watch, and subscribe to all three of those channels. Now, without further ado, let's get to episode 100 with Nick Alberga on the Wii Sports Chronicles podcast. All right, as I said off the top, I am pleased to be joined by Nick Alberga. He is the Toronto Maple Leafs radio host and NHL host for Sportsnet Fan 590. He's also a fantasy hockey analyst for Sportsnet and the co-host of Coast to Coast on Sirius XM NHL. And he joins me today on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. Nick, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. What's going on with you? Oh, I mean, you know, things are, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's looking up, man. I mean, we're recording this just the week of Christmas. And, you know, I didn't want much for Christmas except an all-Canadian division. And it looks like, knock on wood, we're, we're headed in that direction. So maybe we'll just start uh, there. I mean, how, how excited are you about this uh, possibility for the upcoming NHL season? Yeah, I echo those sentiments. As a one-off, you know, I, mm-hmm. I think this division is going to be fantastic. Just the, you know, the possibilities are endless. Uh, honestly, even the team I cover to see Connor McDavid now for nine, ten times a season, I think <laughs> is going to be remarkable. I know there's been conversation about doing this after this season. I'm more of a wait and see type approach and say, you know what, uh, let's see how it goes this time around. I think it's going to be great for this country, especially in these miserable times, have this kind of action. I think it just in general, it's great to have hockey back. So I'm really, really fired up, and I can't wait till January 13th. Well, wasn't it your colleague Sid Sixero who tweeted like we should have this, uh, you know, after this season? Am I wrong about that? Did I get that research wrong? (laughs) No, I think it was him, and I see where he's coming from. You know, I think it's easy in this country, in Canada, where we're doing this, uh, to say, you know, this makes sense, but I think you have to look at it uh, globally, right? Yeah. Um, does it make much sense in the States? Is it money-making in the States? No, and that's mm-hmm. why I think there were some honest reservations from the NHL when uh, putting things together from a practical standpoint. This is the only thing that made sense because they can't cross the border, right? So um, I think from that sense, it's great, and it's fantastic, and we're going to love it here in Canada, but I don't think we're going to love it as much uh, in terms of a dollar standpoint in the States. That's why I see it that way. And you mentioned just before, I mean, I mean, look, Matthews McDavid nine or ten times. I mean, you know, who, who can ask for much more? That's uh, quite amazing. But there's also the opportunity, I feel like, Nick, for maybe Matthews Pedersen. I mean, we don't see much of... Toronto, Vancouver, or a rivalry maybe born with Winnipeg. Who knows, right? Because we're so used to the generic Montreal, Ottawa. So I think it's also going to be really fascinating to see 
this Jan Leafs team going up against the West Coast teams for, for many more games. Yeah, that's a good point because honestly, well, you're seeing them a couple times a year in a normal rendition of the schedule. And, you know, as I start to put together my fantasy stuff that will come out uh, on sportsnet.ca over the next couple weeks into early January as we set up for a drafts here, is that this country in general is much better than it was, say, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Even the Ottawa Senators, uh, widely regarded as one of the worst teams in this league, are on the rebuild, and they're they're definitely going upwards, right? And you look at their offseason, guys like Benny Dadnov and some of the youngsters they picked up, not only in trades, but uh, via the draft. They're on the upwards trajectory, and I think from you know a standpoint of watching these games and listening to these games, I think it's going to be much better even when you include the Ottawa Senators. But you're right. I, I think... The focus is to push these rivalries. That's why it sounds like the Battle of Alberta will will go, will go down ten times, maybe in the playoffs too. <laughs> um, even the Battle of Ontario, I'd love to see that heat up again. Although again, the Maple Leafs clearly the better team. Uh, Toronto, Montreal is always a doozy. You're right. There, there's so many more combinations you can go to the well with, and the fact that they're going to play multiple times, five, six, seven, eight, nine times a year, I think is going to be great to build that fire. Not to mention you go into the playoffs and these teams will play again. It's going to be great. Well, as I said off the top, you, of course, cover the Toronto Maple Leafs. And they were busy this offseason, as you know, Nick, making a lot of uh, you know necessary additions to, to this team to really add some physicality and depth, which, which was much needed. And when I look at this team on paper during the Matthews year, like, I would think like this is one of the better teams that we've seen you know, heading into a regular season. I think they should win this Canadian division, but this is the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I'm just sort of curious your thoughts, because I think when you look on paper, to me, they're the best team, but it's just a matter of, you know, can they get it done, which has been a question mark uh, throughout the, the Austin Matthews era thus far. Yeah, that's a massive question. And ultimately, I think this is probably their best opportunity to win a playoff series in what, the last 15, 16 years. It's been a long, long time. I still can't believe they didn't beat the Columbus Blue Jackets. And that was a Stanley Cup qualifying action, yeah. losing in five games in that series. But you're so right. And that's why it's, it, you know, it's fair when we analyze this division going into the season on paper and strictly on paper because we haven't seen anything on the ice yet. The Maple Leafs are the best team when you look at their roster. I think their goaltending is pretty decent. I think they got a competent backup in Jack Campbell. I think their back end is much improved. Like TJ Brody, nobody's talking about it, but I think that's a seamless addition to this team. He fits the needs and he can skate, which goes in well with some of the guys up front certainly they have on this roster. Uh, Zach Bogosian brings some sandpaper. We think, you know, Mikko Lettinen's going to get some quality time this season. Another year of Rasmus Sandin. And suddenly the Maple Leafs have depth. But I, I think that's the one thing I'm looking at and I wonder, with no preseason and no training camp and, and no action, defensively speaking, how, how how will this team stack up against the rest of uh, this North division will be fascinating. Because the one thing we have picked up in the Matthews era, this team can score goals. But the biggest question for me going forward, not even, you know, even out of this division, uh, can, can, can they, you know, tighten up defensively, if you will, and, and pay attention to detail there? Because if, if they can, I do feel like the Maple Leafs can be a very, very scary team here this year. And, you, you know, you didn't mention, you know, but Wayne Simmons as well as a guy, Jumbo Joe Thornton. I mean, look, you know, Joe may be past his, past his prime, but you can't help but get that uh, that leadership experience. But to me, my my biggest question mark is to me Frederick Anderson. And, and I think it's someone that, you know, you know, the goaltending's been, you know, steady, I would say, with, with Anderson. He hasn't been able to get it done in the playoffs. And... I think yeah. it's going to be interesting because 
compared to the years previous, last year was sort of a bit of a down year for Freddie in terms of the numbers. Can he get? Can he bounce back? But then it leads to your point about the defense, right? Like, how much is this on yeah. Freddie, and how much is this just on rudimentary defense? You know, defensive mistakes that just that just again boggle the mind as a Leafs fan when you're watching this team play. Yeah, and it's a good discussion to have because I think it's pretty simple and easy, especially in the NHL world, to pinpoint things on the goaltender. But I think it stems from, you know, even up front to the back end, to everybody involved in that situation. Because I think you even look at, you know, the qualifying action against Columbus. Let's not forget, yeah, there were a couple shaky goals that Frederick Anderson surrendered, but I thought all in all, uh, he was up to the the task of going against Jonas Corposello and Elvis Merzlikens on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that Toronto was shut out twice in five games is the most alarming stat I could think of pulling out of that series. It wasn't that Frederick Anderson uh, let a couple stinkers in. You're putting a lot of pressure on your goalie when you can't score goals. And it's just crazy to me that a team known for its offense really, really was stymied. And you have to give some credit, of course, to the Columbus Blue Jackets and their style of play. But that was honestly my biggest takeaway. It was not so much Frederick Anderson because I have belief in him, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. I'm touting him in my fantasy stuff this season. He's entering a contract season. So uh, it would be in his best interest to have a strong year and get paid without you know whether it's in Toronto or elsewhere I think Freddie Anderson's gonna have a bounce back but it's often not talked about in pro sports I I think you know there's a team that goes into a goaltender and I think uh, defensively speaking the Maple Leafs on paper a much better team here obviously these next couple weeks gonna be consumed by Christmas New Year's and fantasy hockey teams you know getting you know leagues starting to assemble and then those you know, fun fantasy drafts that, that we all know and love without revealing all of your state secrets on your Nick. But, you know, you look, you have the usual suspects of guys that are going to be fantasy staples, Matthews, McKinnon, McDavid. But do you have a sleeper forward or player that is, is you, that you're pegging to say, okay, this is someone that could really get someone over the hump maybe to get them uh, fantasy hockey champions? Yeah, there's a variety of names that, that come to mind. And certainly this year will be a lot different to navigate when it comes to fantasy hockey because of the the, the strictly divisional play, mm. um, you know, the pandemic in general. Let's not forget there's going to be a COVID list. There's taxi yep. squads. There's just so many more obstacles that we have to jump through when it comes to fantasy hockey. But we'll take it in stride. Um, you know, some names to come to mind, actually. Uh, Kevin Fiala with the Minnesota Wild coming off a strong, strong finish last year. I thought he was great in the bubble at three goals in four games against the Vancouver Canucks. In fact, at 30 points over his last 28 games in the regular season, he was really starting to move and really starting to hit his ceiling and get towards that ceiling that we've been talking about dating back to his days with the Nashville Predators. So he's a guy who's in my top 100. Um, you know, somebody has to score Minnesota. And don't sleep on his line mate, a rookie in Kirill Kaprizov, who mm. could be my dark horse for the uh, Calder Trophy this season. I, I like him quite a bit. Some other guys I like. I like Kirby Doc with Chicago. Mm. I'm really, really fascinated to see what he does uh, at the World Junior. Of course, part of the leadership core, rightfully so. But this dude was really, really good, I thought, in the bubble in the second half uh, last year with Chicago. And I think he's poised for a potential breakout. And the other guy I'll throw in there because nobody really talks about him is Andre Spechnikov. Uh, yep. He's a top 25 fantasy talent right now, but I could see, um, you know, a situation where he gets into the Elias Pettersson conversation who you talk about guys who really thrust into the spotlight in fantasy hockey last year. Pettersson in Vancouver, certainly one of those names to watch, but I really, really like Andre Spechnikov among other people uh, going into this season. 
I love that uh, Kirby Doc mentioned because I, you know, I'm a big World Juniors guy and, and, and got the chance to watch uh, some of the clips of him at uh, at selection camp. But just some great speed and just a great shot. And look, Canada's had obviously a history of having like top named guys uh, play on the team. I mean, they had Alexi Lafreniere last year, the number one yeah. pick when they won gold, but. It's so rare. I mean, Kirby Doc was not on that team last year. And then he goes and, you know, plays in the NHL. He has an NHL experience. And now he's just going to, you know, have that more as a member of the leadership core in the World Juniors. So I think if Canada does well and, you know, knock on wood, let's hope they win gold. That's just going to be a lot of confidence for him going forward when he goes back to Chicago. Yeah, there's a lot that doesn't make sense, especially in this unique world we certainly yeah. live in. But I don't understand how Kirby Doc, who played a full season in the NHL last year, I get the Hawks put out a letter and all that jazz, and they're going to let him play. But then New Jersey comes out, no Jack Hughes for the States, you know, no Capo Cackle for the New York Rangers. Yeah. Um, you know, Alexi Lafreniere is not going to play for Team Canada. I don't understand across the board, you know, the differences in, in mentality because, uh, you know, I work closely with Brian Burke and yep. former NHL GM for a variety of Canadian teams, especially won a cup in Anaheim. Um, he, he's a guy who always sends his players to the world junior. And mm -hmm. I, I totally agree. I, I think there's just so much you can grasp and take from this tournament, not to mention even with Kirby doc day in day out, he's learning from legends, right? Mm -hmm. Guys are going to be in the hall of fame, Duncan Keith, Seabrook on the back end, potentially, you know, even Corey Crawford's a guy who meant so much to that team now with New Jersey. And then up front, uh, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, um, you know, just the winning that organization has been through the last decade, 15 years, I just think is going to be monumental to the growth of Kirby Doc. I, I think he's going to be an absolute monster in this tournament. And uh, I can't wait to see what he does in fantasy hockey, too. I want to pivot because you you mentioned yeah. uh, the word obstacles, and, and 2020 has certainly provided uh, a lot a lot of obstacles. And when I think of you know you're a guy that's you know a, a constant voice on on, on Sportsnet Five Nine the Fan, like I said off the top. And look, you guys, you know you guys have some great facilities at at, at the Sportsnet uh, Fan Five Nine Studios, and then the pandemic happens, and then all oh, all of a sudden there's no sports, and you may have to do some radio shows from home. Can you maybe yeah. comment on just like what that challenge was like and just how I guess it made you a better radio broadcaster? Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, I can throw this all the way back to maybe, I don't know, 15 months ago, I decided to start a podcast. And as yeah. you know, uh, you need to collect material to start a podcast. So it's pretty crazy how it worked out. But I you know, acquired a mic and all that that came with a podcast. And then lo and behold, the pandemic hits. And I said, well, you know what? I have the capacity to broadcast from home. That's certainly something, you know, I had been intrigued with. Uh, certainly the way this uh, this world's going in media is something to, to start up and, and think about doing. And then lo and behold, the pandemic hits. And, you know, I notified everybody there that I was able to do stuff from home. And that's sort of how it started. Uh, but you bring up a, a really good question, and quite honestly, I've been asked this quite a lot by people who have, you know, different type of jobs that, you know, have to be there sometimes. It hasn't been much different to me mm. outside of the fact that when I have a co-host and I work closely, of course, with Gord Stelic on mm -hmm. Leeds Nation, I like the eye contact. That's been the biggest difference for me, especially when I host Hockey Central. I have two co-hosts and, you know, a combination of Justin Bourne, Anthony Stewart, and, and Brian Burke. You know, how to navigate lead through a conversation as a host, it's it's much more difficult. Uh, now, granted, we have technology to help, and sometimes we have sort of a webcam on each other so we can see when each other wants to talk and, you know, direct for questioning on all that. But 
I think that's been the biggest stumbling block. But, you know, a couple months in, I felt like it was really seamless. I, you know, my only fear was that the quality, the consistency of the sound wouldn't carry over. But technology these days has pushed us past that. And quite honestly, it almost sounds like I'm in studio, which yeah. uh, I think is is phenomenal. But I would say that was the biggest stumbling block at the beginning is sort of, you know, the conversation, how to keep it flowing, because it's a lot different when you're not in person. I'll say that. Yeah, and, and and I'll say this. I mean, if you listen to any of the the Fan Five Ninety shows on podcast form, like I yeah. wouldn't even know that you guys are at home or, or in the studio. Like exactly. it sounds very uh, very professional, which is very important. But I think that point about being in person, like, look, I've I've done this podcast, you know, started this year during the pandemic, and Zoom has been the only option. And while it's easy and efficient to get people from all over the world. It still isn't the same as if we were in studio together. There still is a barrier there. And while I'm, you know, over 90 episodes of my podcast and I've, and I've done this and I've gotten more comfortable, it's still a barrier. And, and, and I think you brought up just a good point about how when you're seeing someone face to face, especially in radio, it just feels more natural like you're having a conversation. And that's not to say that you're not doing a great job now. Everyone's doing, you know, an amazing job yeah. given the circumstances. It's just. An adjustment that you have to make, and, and and hopefully we we get back to a point where it, when it's safe to do so, where you can't have that conversation in in studio because I think you can't beat that for for great radio. Yeah, it's one of the things that I think is underappreciated about broadcasting in general, just the ability to be around people and feed off people, right? The energy, like you know, for example, I think a great example is uh, that crazy game where the Maple Leafs came back from three nothing mm-hmm. in the bubble against Columbus. Uh, I think, you know, while it was great to do a post-game show, it would have been tremendous to watch that game the way I normally did with my producer, Sam McKee, and my co-host, uh, Gord Stelic, in person. Just mm-hmm. the, the energy from that, even though there wasn't a crowd in the building, I thought would be much different. Not to mention, you know, that's another thing that's been a lot different with my, my job right now, and, and it'll remain the same starting the season as we won't be able to go to Scotiabank Arena mm-hmm. for the home broadcast, which... It's just a lot different. Um, you know, I, I understand and comprehend that we've had the luxury of doing that in the past. But like anything else, you know, I, I say it this way. I think you you have to go with the flow and adapt. And, and you know, credit the broadcasters around this country and in this world. They've really, really adapted here. So speaking of that, I mean, I'll, I'll just follow up with you. So how are you going to be approaching this season? Like, is you know, is, is it the same post-game, pre-game? Like, what, what are sort of your responsibilities for the upcoming season? Yeah, we had a call the other day, so it's going to be pretty much status quo. And mm. as you know, uh, we share rights with the three-letter and TSM. Yep. So we split the home games in terms of the broadcast. So it'll be the same thing. I'll be doing Leafs Nation pre-game, uh, intermission, and post-game for the games that we have on Sportsnet 5.9, the fan and the Maple Leafs radio network. And then aside from that, I'll be doing the uh, the post-game shows when TSN uh, has the game. So it's going to be pretty much the same. And I think we've actually worked out that um, we're actually going to meet in person, uh, uh, person at our studio Great. in Toronto when we have the broadcast and maybe do the post-game shows from home. They've given us that possibility, which uh, I'm thankful for. And I've done mm-hmm. a couple of broadcasts actually from the studio in the last two, three, four, five months, and it was actually okay. I mean, at this point, uh, every precaution has been exercised, yeah. so it's not like I, I'm worried to go in. Uh, but uh, we're hopeful, you know, down the road, who knows, later on in this season, maybe we get a chance to go to a game when life's a bit more normal here. 
you mentioned, you know, working with different colleagues and, and working with different co-hosts, and obviously that's so vital for radio, right? It's not just having, you know, the sports acumen, the good radio voice, it's being able to work and, and you know, be a successful co-host. So what would you say from your experiences, you know, co-hosting with Gord and, and other colleagues, what goes into being a good radio co-host? I just think versatility um, and also just, you know, being open to anything, um, you know, having the ability to bounce anything, you know, Gord, for example, is so easy to work with because mm. I can bounce literally anything about, you know, you know, most people who cover this game, especially in the NHL, oh, well, I cover the Maple Leafs, uh, I do stuff and I did stuff for Sirius XM NHL Network Radio for eight and a half years. Like that was my, my you know, my introduction into this industry. So you know, we, we talk everything, you know, I can throw a question about the Minnesota wild Gord will have a response. And it's just so fun when you can go a variety of different ways. And, you know, there'll always be a rapport and a rebuttal and a conversation to be had. It just, it makes the, the conversation flow. And I just think being open-minded is the, the best advice I can be when it comes to broadcasting, because that's the one thing you're right. Like throughout my nearly decade in this industry, I've worked with a lot of people in a co-host capacity and a hosting capacity as an analyst. Um, you have to find and work to the strengths and weaknesses. And I think over time, you'll figure out uh, what pros and cons, you know, each person brings to the table and work off that. And I think every time I do a broadcast, I strive to do the best broadcast uh, possible. And I, and I think the last piece of advice too, is just to take it in stride and remember it's just radio, have some fun. I think mm. oftentimes people put way too much pressure on themselves, whether it be on TV or, in, you know, anything digitally, or in radio in general, just have fun. Like this, this is meant to be fun. We're talking about sports. We're talking about hockey. So I always remind myself of that before I do a broadcast. Yeah, and and, and your point about versatility is a good one, and I think it goes to this whole idea of preparation. I think that you know, the, to me, when it sounds the most natural, you obviously have done a lot of preparation, right? Like you can you know you know get stuff out of your hat and then make sure it yeah. sounds like it flows nicely and. It sometimes gets a little bit, you know, you know, you know, overlooked, but it is very vital. I think that those that are prepared but are willing to adjust on the fly, willing to feed off of what the co-host is saying, can make it a really entertaining radio show for the listeners wherever they are across Canada, across Ontario. Well, that's the thing about broadcasting and specifically the NHL and covering this league and the Maple Leafs, you better be educated, right? Yeah. Because I think more times than not, especially in this market working in Toronto, you better be on top of, you know, who the third string netminer is in Aaron Dell, uh, who, who the depth defensemen are in Marty Marincin. Like, you need to be educated or you're going to get eaten alive in this <laughs> market. I think it constitutes the other markets as well. I think being educated and being well-prepared can set you up with anything in life, never mind just broadcasting. I just think... You can never be too prepared if that makes sense and especially covering the nhl you always have to stay on top of what's transpiring at all times because there's so much movement it's it's actually crazy it, you know it always brings me back uh to my old professor at the college of sports media and and, I, and now my colleague at sportsnet 59 the fan and roger lejoie uh, my vacation is my vocation um, <laughs> and, and that always lived with me um certainly you know what that constitute too is is you know when you're on vacation you're still you're still talking hockey when when you're just chilling and working you're still talking hockey it's the same thing and and that's pretty much what sports broadcasting has become because truthfully i mean a lot of people who are in this industry are in it because of their sheer joy for the sport mm -hmm. and i i'm one of those people for sure yeah i mean 
if you don't have enthusiasm for sports, I think you need to find a different career because I think those that are uh, the, the most energetic certainly uh, go very, very far. And and you mentioned how you you went to the College of Sports Media and you, you know working in you know different uh, you know jobs for the last decade, of course, starting at Sirius XM NHL Network and now after the Fan Five Ninety. I'm just curious, Nick, I mean, what was going down the radio route something that you were were interested in at the beginning, or did you want more of a holistic approach, and then just, you know, radio was the opportunity, and I'm going to seize it. You know, as crazy as it is to say, I'm living out a childhood dream. It's actually yeah. something that my parents could, could attest to it. It's something I said when I was 9 or 10 years old. <laughs> That I wanted to be a broadcaster. Um, you know, I sat in front of my TV and played video games, um, usually NHL, and did the play-by-play. Yeah. That's where it started. I wanted to be a play-by-play broadcaster until I realized I just wasn't fit for it. Uh, I think you either have it as a broadcaster or a play-by-play guy, or you don't. Um, you know, I was better in, as an analyst. I've always been better as an analyst, and I've had no problem talking too, which <laughs> had put me perfectly for hosting. Um, you know, into high school. Uh, where we had careers class and again i reiterated um you know in a project that i wanted to be a sports broadcaster and that it started to get a lot more real um i went to fanshawe college first and foremost for journalism broadcast and um you know little things stood out but certainly the first day of class where the professor said you know who wants to be a sports broadcaster and half the guys put their hands up and a couple girls as well and and he said, well, you know, you might want to look for something more because that's really, really difficult. And I'm the type of person that something sticks to my mind, uh, I go for it. Mm. And that was sort of something I fought for early on in my career, which brought me to the College of Sports Media. And then, you know, it, it's just about right bounces and, and working hard and work ethic and just, you know, connecting and networking with people. And next thing you know, it's it's something that becomes a reality, but certainly... Uh, it's something I've wanted to do for a long, long period of time. But the hosting gig didn't didn't start setting in until I would say even you know, even when I went to the College of Sports Media, we had roundtable classes, and again, Roger Lajoie was my teacher. Yeah, and I was never the host of these roundtables. I was the analyst. It was more so my second year at uh, Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, where um, you know somebody was demoted from their role as as the host of the nighttime show and. I was pretty much pitched and, and somebody said, do you want to give this a shot? And I said, you know, why not? Uh, I remember my first show, everything was scripted. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that it, I could just went off the top of my head. Uh, you're just so nervous in your first couple yeah. podcasts that you want to script everything. And then lo and behold, uh, you know, eight and a half years later, here I am uh, hosting Leafs Nation pregame, intermission, postgame. Uh, it's certainly pretty crazy how it's all come together, but I would say it came together uh, starting at a very, very young age. Well, I'm well, I'm certainly like you with the whole uh, muting the video game and doing the play-by-play. I feel like any you know young sports fan who was into that uh, probably did that. But there were two things that really stood out for, from your answer, and I think the first is this whole importance of building connections and networking. I mean, and networking gets thrown around, but making yeah. those meaningful connections is so vital, and and making sure that. You put yourself in front of the right people, showcasing your skills, of course, because you never know what's going to happen. And and like your case where you're working, you're hustling, you're grinding, and then a guy gets demoted and then there's an opening, you're at the right place at the right time, right? And then all of a sudden that sort of gives you uh, the, the runway for the rest of your career. So 
as a professor said to me once, like, you know, the sports journalism career is, isn't measured in days or weeks. It's measured in, in years and decades. And sometimes, you know, people get, you know, caught up with, oh, I haven't gotten a job and, you know, this year it's not great. Well, everyone has their own path. And it, again, it just takes one great opportunity. And then all of a sudden you're, you're off to the races and, and look at you, you're, you're the perfect example of that. Yeah, and you're right in saying that because even, you know, if you think you're doing a broadcast at 2, 3 a.m. and you think nobody's listening, somebody's listening mm -hmm. and they, they get to know your voice um, and, and so on and so forth. So it's a really excellent point because, you know, it's it's been just so crazy how my career has come about from how I got started hosting to the fact that a couple of years back, all about a year and a half ago, I decided to move on full time. I was a full time at Sirius XM NHL Network Radio and I actually took a leap of faith and and left the company without having a fallback. Now, mm. granted, I had built the, you know, established a pretty good relationship with Sportsnet doing a, a Saturday night show called uh, Hockey Central Saturday. And, you know, it evolved from there. Um, certainly, I think that was, um, you know, part and parcel to my networking and, the, you know, the contacts that I built that I put myself in a position to get hired. And lo and behold, uh, it just, it was crazy how it worked out. Mark Savard, I uh, got a job with the St. Louis Blues as an assistant coach and a job opened up and, you know, the rest was history, as they say. But I think that that's a really, really good point that you always have to stay level-headed and stay with the process. I know they say that in Philadelphia <laughs> a lot. But just always have faith and, and confidence uh, for anybody watching and listening out there. Just have faith in yourself. Have confidence in yourself. And I think the other word I bring to the table is persistence. Uh, you're not annoying. Just keep being persistent keep whacking at it because every time you're persistent, there's one person just giving up and calling it a day. Um, you know, I often think about that in every facet of light, even, you know, even if you have those days where you don't want to hit the gym, um, you know, you just think who's not working out right now, who is working out right now, be one of the stronger people. So um, it, it's just one of those things that, you know, mental health in general, just try to be positive. And I, for one, am, am pessimistic by nature, but I just try to, I try to be positive, honestly, when it comes to broadcasting, it's important. Isn't every journalist pessimistic, Nick? Like I, I, I feel like that, right? I mean, you know, you know, good, and, and you know, anyone that's you know cynical or curious about the way the world is, I think they have yeah. to have a little bit of trait of uh, pessimism. But uh, I mean, and, and and you know, you you had the chance to broadcast live from the from the Stanley Cup Final in 2018 in Las Vegas, and, and I'm sure for you. That must have just felt like a surreal moment. I mean, like, you know, here's a guy. I bet you broadcast from your basement playing video games the Stanley Cup Final. Now you're actually there. How surreal was that for you, for someone that's always wanted to do this? Yeah, it was more so the fact that I was at the pool having a uh, daiquiri in the afternoon <laughs> and at the game at night. No, I thought it was great. Um, and, and again, it, it's just, it's establishing work ethic, um, you know, it's establishing, you know, the fact that you'll, you're willing to do anything. And I remember that trip quite frankly, cause I actually, you know, it was, it was half of my own dime. Like I paid yeah. some money to be there, but I thought it was wise. It was important and it was integral for my career. And you're right. That, that was one of the defining moments of my career, having the ability to do the pregame show, the postgame uh, show from uh, T-Mobile arena in Vegas. Uh, I was there for, for the save, um, you know, Braden Holpe making that, that series change mm. save, I believe on Alex Tuck. And yep. I just think the experience, uh, you know, that's the reason why, you know, in, in the first decade of my career, I've been open-minded and granted, not everybody's going to have the finances, the abilities to do that. Uh, I've been open-minded and shown the initiative, right? That's another key word uh, for any young broadcasters is show initiative. Uh, you know, I can't list how many times I went to drafts and, you know, all-star weekends on my own accord, my own, 
old, old, own dime to, to work my network and to work my contact base and meet important people. And I think that's all part of it, but there's different ways you can do that. And especially here in Toronto, it's much more easier, but um, you're right. Uh, that Stanley Cup final was just simply incredible to be uh, in person for and also do a post-game show for from my, I thought it was tremendous. It was so much fun. I want to end, you know, you're, you're just talking sort of, you know, radio in general, and and obviously the, the you know the industry is has changed so much. I mean, you know, the radio isn't like the Foster Hewitt days in terms of consumption, but it still I think has a place. You know, yeah. still there's people that drive home from work, turn on Fan Five Ninety, or, or listen to the podcast form now. So, how do you sort? How has it sort of changed for you from? The perception of radio when you first got into the industry, let's say at Fanshawe or the College of Sports Media, to now in 2020 and going forward. Well, it's gotten much more digital. I could add, like mm. you know, I think growing up and especially in school in the late 2010s, you know, 2007 to 2011, we'll say uh, it was more so about being on the radio. Now it's so much more, right? It's the digital aspects. Are you prone and, and good at Instagram and, and Twitter? Like Twitter's a big aspect of the job now. I think people want to see your, you, you know, your face. Accessibility is big in pro sports now, especially, you know, in the NHL. So it's not only, it's not only hosting these radio shows, it's doing podcasting. It's, you know, doing YouTube hits. Like it's everything intertwined into one. And I think it's great for the, for, for radio in general that it's elevated and, and give it, given it a new lease on life. Cause I remember back like 10 years ago, it seemed like radio was dying a cruel death. And mm-hmm. now there seems to be a resurgence, right? With it's not, it, you know, I, I think they've changed their stance from something that people just listen to the radio in their cars. Now, the fact that it's so accessible anywhere, you could be at home, you could be on a plane. I mean, it doesn't matter. You can get your radio fix. And um, I, I think it's become much more than just radio and listening to it on the radio. It's become sort of a digital platform. Yeah. Like I think, Social media has its positives and negatives, but I think one of the, yes. the big positive is, is is the fact that you're seeing radio personalities on there, right? Like, it's not like you just hear their voice and there, there's the old saying, you have a face for radio. No, like, yeah. like I mean, you, you know, you get it, but it, it's common. But I mean, it, it's one of those things that you're now being noticed on, on these different platforms. And I think it's, you have to survive in that way, right? Like, you can't just yeah. be doing one facet of journalism you got to be able to master the tweets the instagram posts the podcasting because i think the more skills you have to an employer the more likely you could put yourself in a position to get hired for a position so it just shows it's just interesting just how that's evolved and, and and i think it's it's a good thing that i think that radio you know while it isn't what it used to be i think it still has a place in it and it's just evolving with with the times in the industry Yeah, and again, it speaks to the versatility out there. Just be as versatile as possible because I think you're so right. Maybe back in the day, you got a job because of your sheer abilities on air. Now it's more so, you know, the evolution and the fact, can you edit? Uh, can you do a podcast? Can you host? Can you interview? Can you report? It's a variety of different things that go into a broadcast job. And I think the more versatile you are, I think more times than not, talent will take care of itself. If you're mm-hmm. talented, there will be a job for you somewhere, someplace. It's more so your versatility. I think the, the one thing we're starting to see, and I'll be quite frank, I mean, there's not as much money in radio. We've been told this from day one in mm-hmm. broadcasting school. I'm sure you were told the <laughs> same thing. If you want money, go elsewhere, because it's not going to happen in radio. So it stems back to the conversation, 
you know, of having fun and enjoying your job, right? Uh, I mean, I go to work and I don't feel like I'm going to work, which yeah. I think is great. And, you know, exploring that horizon, and, uh, you know, of the digital platform can make you more money, right? Um, you know, I think that's a big facet of the industry, certainly, is just to be versatile and the ability to do a lot of things can, can bring you a long way, honestly. And I know that from experience. Last question for you, Nick, and I couldn't uh, have you on here without asking you, what's the what's the inspiration behind your Twitter handle, The Golden Muzzy? Because it's one of the best uh, Twitter <laughs> handles I've uh, I've seen from sports media personalities. You know, what's funny is when I when I joined Sportsnet full time in about a year and a half ago, um, you know, I, I heard some whispers that they were going to ask me to change my Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And then they realized, um, again, to, to keep name dropping Roger Lejoie, it was actually okay. something that... That started happening um, in new media class, again, and another pimp for College of Sports Media, and, and rightfully so. Mm -hmm. um, Roger had a class, new media class, and he instructed us, maybe it's time to make a Twitter account. You can follow each other, and that's how your networking begins. Little did I know that it would become, you know, the brand the way it has. And quite honestly, you know, it was the littlest thing that this, this Twitter account was created in the month of, of November. And I have been known for doing Movember. It's yep. been over a decade that I've done Movember. And for some reason, I'm sure you can see a bit, my mustache comes, uh, you know, a little golden in sometimes. <laughs> and then lo and behold, I was just thinking out loud. And I'm like, how about the golden muzzy? And I'm like, might as well put it down for now. And then I'll change it in a couple of weeks. And then... <laughs> You know, it, just to see the way it's evolved, it's been pretty crazy. It really has turned into a brand where people yeah. call me Muzzy. I had a, pod, a podcast called Unmuzzled. Like it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's so crazy how it came together. Some little thing, and again, I, I credit Roger Lajoie. I've told him that before. That that class inspired this whole Twitter account and this whole brand. It's it's really evolved into a crazy brand. But I, I'm often asked that question. I wish I had a better story, <laughs> but that's how it all came to be. No, you know what? It's uh. It's awesome, and and look, you know, for for many of us who are trying to find th their brand, look, I mean, you're you're a perfect example of how the of how that could happen, and and it stayed. So I mean, so yeah, so for that, uh, so for that, uh, Nick Alberga, aka the Golden Muzzy, he is the co-host of Leafs Nation on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Nick, thank you so much for for joining me today on the We Sports Chronicles podcast, and all the best uh, to you for the upcoming season. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Take care.